Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Straight Talk. We ran out of time to ask Governor Kotak all the questions we had in our main episode, so she graciously agreed to this bonus episode so we can ask a few more. Thanks again, Governor. You're so welcome. Happy <laughs> to do the bonus. Well, a lot of our viewers are going to remember the scandal at the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control Cannabis Commission, mm -hmm. where a director and some managers, it was discovered that they were diverting some very expensive bottles of bourbon, yeah. thousands of dollars. They paid for them, but they kept them for their own private mm -hmm. use. You asked for resignations and you got them. But that may have some people wondering about other state agencies and how they are serving the public. What has been your message to your directors of agencies and what do you want Oregonians to know about your expectations? Well, the message is accountability and customer service. And, you know, I was thinking about this job as being governor. You never know what's going to happen. Like, you learn a lot about very expensive whiskey that you didn't know anything about. Um, but my message on that was very clear. It is not acceptable to do to use your power in a way that, you know, an average Oregonian would have access to that very same product. And that goes back to my core message of state government should be focused on the Oregonian, the customer service, who needs the service, and are we doing our best job? Are we transparent? Are we honest about what we're doing? And I've been very clear with our directors. We are one big team, and we should make sure that what we're doing is very consumer-focused, it is based on best practices. Um, so I gave, in my very first week in office, it was, here are the things I expect from you. you Gotta get your hiring on track. You have to have strategic plans. You have to do performance reviews. Very basic, I think, management things that some agencies have been doing, but every agency now needs to do that so we can say we're all operating at peak performance. The House Republican leader commended you on releasing some of the directors from their positions, but they say there's been a lack of willingness to provide details or explanations regarding these decisions, and they're asking if in the future, moving forward, that you would be more transparent about those decisions. Oh, on the OLCC in particular? Well, I think just in general about uh, they, this comes from the House Republicans about releasing some of your directors. Oh, well, you know, we have uh, at least 10 open searches right now. We, this is a time of transition. We have directors leaving, you know, some of them just, you know, it was time to move on after the pandemic. Um, I am communicating regularly with our Republican leaders and our Democratic leaders in the legislature about my goals in those agencies. Um, and I've been very clear, I'm, I want people who are good managers, who are transparent. And I guess my question for our Republican leaders, if I'm not answering the question, keep asking. I'll, I'll get you answers if I can. As it relates to the OLCC, there's a criminal investigation on under the Attorney General, and I trust that she will tell us what actually went on there from a criminal perspective. One of the biggest parts of the budget is for education, K through 12. Yeah. And you have budgeted 9.9 .9 billion, that's up from 9.3 billion, a, a bump. The Oregon Education Association School Boards Association says they're really happy that you're increasing it, but they want more. They want $10.3 billion. What are the chances they're going to get that? Uh, we don't know. We have to see the next forecast in May. Uh, the $9.9 billion state school fund is a very strong number. It's not the only education funding. We also have the Student Success Act dollars that complement that. And in my budget, I'm also asking for an additional $120 million to focus on early literacy. So I'm pushing as hard as I can to get as many resources into our schools 
because our students need them. The pandemic was challenging. Our educators have been stressed. They deserve as much as we can get them. Let's talk a little bit more about that literacy program mm -hmm. because I know that's really important to you. Only half of Oregon students are reading and writing at grade level. And I know you've heard from a lot of Oregonians in your listening tours saying how frustrated they are. The students are frustrated that they fell behind yeah. during the pandemic. And you're pushing lawmakers to pass a couple of bills, urging them to pass them to change the state's approach to literacy education. What would these bills do? Well, they would say, we're going to follow the science on what instruction we are using in our schools. We're gonna provide resources for high dosage tutoring, really more of that one-on-one -on -one for those students who are struggling. When I was out in Vernonia, I was reading to a bunch of first graders, and I said, who likes to read? And, and the one little guy said, oh, I don't know, it's hard. I said, you know, reading is your superpower. Your dog can't read, but you can read. And you know, it's gonna be hard, but everybody here is trying to help you do that so you can be a reader, because once you start reading, your whole life is gonna change. Every Oregon student has the ability to read, and it's our job to make sure our educators have what they need. And that's what the bill says. We're gonna give you the skills. We're gonna make sure you have extra resources. Every child has to be on grade level. And talking about our children, childcare is also a focus for you. And it's really hard for parents to find affordable childcare, yeah. to even find childcare. What are your proposals to try, to try to make childcare more affordable and accessible? Yeah, we have childcare deserts. We know that the pandemic was, again, another eye-opening experience. Child care is an infrastructure issue. The Chips and Science Act we were talking about with the semiconductor industry, that money says if you're gonna build a new manufacturing facility, you have to provide child care for those workers. That is groundbreaking coming out of the federal government. So in my budget, um, I have $100 million set aside for child care providers to expand their current services. If you need a little bit of money to get a new bathroom so you can serve more students, um, let's make that happen. You know, some very basic things to expand facility infrastructure, but also paying our child care providers more. The money that I'm putting into our, our state subsidized program is to pay workers more, right? So that this is a profession, they should be compensated, and that provides more stability for the child, which is good in the child care setting. The landscape around reproductive rights certainly has changed a lot in the last year with the yeah. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And then our neighboring state, Idaho, has all but made abortion illegal. It's made it a crime to help a minor cross state lines without the permission of their parent. And now we have this battle over the so-called abortion pill, Mifepristone, that may end up in the Supreme Court. Abortion remains legal in Oregon. What do you want Oregonians to know about what you are doing as far as reproductive rights goes? Well, first thing is I will continue to fight and protect reproductive health care in this state. Uh, the legislature has a bill to continue to expand access, but also to, pr to protect the providers who are providing the care, right? We need to have access to gender affirming care. Reproductive health care is a lot of different things. In Oregon, we are making sure there is access, that providers are protected, and I will support the legislation that's coming. There's money in my budget to support extended access um, here in Oregon. We're doing everything we can to make sure we are a model state to say you can get what you need here. A lot of Oregonians will be interested to know about the kicker because they may have yeah. heard that there's going to be a record kicker of about $4 billion that would come next year during tax season when people file their taxes or possibly in a check. And I'll t ask you about that in a moment. But during this legislative session, lawmakers could possibly, to try to fulfill your priorities and theirs, claw back some of that $4 billion. We've seen that happen before. Would you stand up to that and protect all that money to be returned to Oregonians? Should lawmakers want to take some of that kicker? I am, I am not focused on, on 
touching the kicker, and I don't think legislators are really set to do that. What I'm focusing on are the reserves that we could tap into. We have $2 billion in reserves here in the state. That is a good place to be when, you know, we're always up and down about whether there's a recession coming. But what I put in my budget was let's, instead of sending 400 to 500 million more dollars into reserves, let's hold that back, use those one-time dollars for things that we need. That is a much more current conversation on what, what's going to happen. There's nothing happening with the kickers. But going what, if out it, the tax what if it does? Well, I just don't see there's political will to okay. do that. Um, I'm very practical. I'm focused on, we can do a balanced budget that invests in the things we need if we don't spend every penny back to reserves. We have $2 billion in reserves. The co-chairs and the legislative leadership is very hedgy on whether or not they want to hold back some of the reserve money so we can invest in housing and mental health. I'm arguing that they should. Um, so I hope that's where we are at the end of session. So it's something like $756 million that's supposed to go into the rainy day fund that you right. want to not put into that fund and use for some of your priorities. Um, I think that's prudent. You know, we have good reserves. We're not touching the reserves. We're just saying, instead of adding to the reserves, let's hold some of that back. And we have urgent issues. And we know what they are. Schools, housing, homelessness, mental health. We should do that. Um, the conversation kicker is for another day. Well, I want to go back to the kicker just for a moment. Uh, there is a push to try to return that to people at, in the form of a check, which was done several years ago. Oh, Instead of a tax rebate, would you favor that, making no, it a check? No, I oppose that. And, here, and here's specifically why. The way we have set up the tax uh, credit that is now structured, so when you do your, your taxes, you get a credit, um, it's more efficient doesn't cost as much money to do, like sending out a check. And actually, this is a little wonky, but the bond rating that we have in our state that says we're being financially prudent with our public resources, they think that tax credit's a better idea than sending out a check. So I, I, I think it's a bad idea, and I think we should just keep what we have. Going back a little bit to rural Oregon and farmland, you know agriculture is so critical mm -hmm. to the state of Oregon. In your first 100 days and in your listening tours, have you gained more of an appreciation for the importance of agriculture and farmland in the state? Well, you can't not by when you're out traveling around and, you know, um, I, I was just out in Polk County. I mean, there's lot, so much agriculture in Polk County and timber and how important it is to the community. Um, and it comes up in conversations, right? Um, I will be spending more time out uh, in eastern Oregon as the weather improves. Um, natural resource industries are part of who we are as Oregonians. And my job is to support those industries. Um, and so we can have the food and you know the livestock and uh, the nursery stock that we want here in this state. It's really important. Um, and I'm very open to having the conversations with our farmers and our ranchers about what they need because they are Oregonians and it is part of who we are. And, and part of that greater Idaho question, we, we talked about this in, in the first episode of Straight Talk, the greater Idaho movement. There is a, a question they have that may be impossible, but I, I'll, ask, I'll ask it for you. Um, they want to know if in the initiative process, if, they, if the initiative process could be changed, that if an initiative originates in Multnomah County, and is passed, but the majority of Multnomah County pass, helping it pass through the state, like Measure 114, Measure 110. If it's possible to change that initiative system so it only applies to the cities, to Multnomah County, and not to Eastern Oregon, that's where their frustration is. They feel like the cities pass these measures, like 110 and 114, then they have to live with it. I hear that frustration. You know, um, the initiative process is something that a lot of people believe in in Oregon. You can write your ballot measures to say they only apply to parts of the state. But remember, we're all at the end of the day one state. 
or you know, more than four million people who believe in a state where everyone can be successful. And um, I'm not interested in changing the initiative process, but people can write their initiatives to only pertain to certain parts of the state. I think going back to the, you know, the bigger question of people not feeling heard mm -hmm. and that their way of life is under threat because of maybe somebody who lives on the other part of the state. We have to do a much better job of listening to each other because whether you live on the coast or live in Ontario, we still want the same things. We want a home, we want good schools, we want to have access to healthcare and a good job. Let's focus there, because if we're all getting that, I think we're all, it's going to be a lot better. And that's part of your job as governor yeah. to help people feel like it is one Oregon, which yeah. is the name of your listening tour. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up this bonus episode? I just appreciate you know all the interest in the first 100 days, and what I would say is um, we're just getting started. That you know, I this isn't like you know, make a lot of noise and sit back. We are going to continue to work hard to solve problems for Oregonians because that's what they hired us to do. We'll come back for the first 200 days or the first 300 like days. We look forward to it. Governor, thank you for joining us for this bonus episode of Straight Talk. Thank you for watching and for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.